0: maybe i jump into things too fast maybe not all of them last and they fizzle out but uh not not being so afraid or scared that it's not gonna work out because the ride is fun and i think if the ride is fun and you enjoy it like it doesn't matter the outcome
1: everyone i'm here with my friend lena uh, lena is one of the most impressive people i've met in the last 10 years every time i see her or talk to her or just see her updates on social media there's always something grand and the new initiative and the new aspect of her life that she's thriving in and uh, she's one of the people who's never afraid of Failing or starting something, despite the fact that she doesn't know how it's going to turn out. Um, so I absolutely acknowledge Lena for everything that she is, and uh, right now she's working in a World Bank, and she she's a, a social entrepreneur focusing uh, her business on social good. And uh, I can't wait to learn more about what she does and what kind of companies she runs right now, because there's always a few at the same time. So. Um, Welcome, Lina.
0: Oh, Maria, thank you so much for, for hosting me and for agreeing to this call.
1: No, thank you for agreeing to this call. I, I can't wait to interview you and, and just learn about what you do. Maybe you can tell us in, about your current uh, involvement in uh, World Bank and uh, some of your businesses that you're helping run? Yes.
0: So right now, I'm a consultant in Fragility Conflict and Violence Unit at the World Bank and specializing on forced displacement, so we're looking into how to bridge the humanitarian development divide um, on the topic specifically of refugees and internally displaced because so far the world approach has been more of a humanitarian six-month emergency issue but When you look into it, uh, refugee situations are usually protracted and half of those are over 10 years. So that's a generation just that has passed without access to education or workforce. And so now what we're doing is seeing how to assist refugees in the long run from the moment that they um, basically become displaced and internally as well, which means that they are still inside their home country and their country of citizenship, but that um, not in the place where they are originally from or where they have a house or had a job. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the World Bank uh, side and then this February I uh, launched a social enterprise where basically we employ refugee women to make date-based suites and spreads. And so the idea on the one hand is to show that refugee employment can actually be integrated into business models, specifically startup business models hopefully be an example for other industries not just the food industry and on the other hand rediscovering the joy of healthy eating showing that just because it's a sugar-free or gluten dairy-free cookie doesn't mean it has to taste like cardboard and then it's terrible and that's really why people fall off the wagon when trying to eat healthy is because their options don't taste nice or they're not as convenient whereas we sweeten everything with dates and that's how we're able to actually have really delicious products at the same time are super good for you.
1: This is so cool. So how did you even come up with this idea and who's helping you? Did you do this by yourself? I know that you, I remember your post on Facebook um, when everybody was out, it was February 14th, the Valentine's Day and uh, everybody was going out on a date. You were in the office the whole night and I remember your post if you can share with us what it was and what were you doing?
0: Yeah, I so February fourteenth, twenty eighteen I had nothing better to do than file incorporation for Doc so Ferris. I stayed home <laughs> <laughs> completing all the documentation and yeah, my funny Facebook post was kind of I said yes uh to the date, uh, playing playing on those words and seeing so something cool. we're in it for life. Um where basically yeah i just i spent that whole night um trying to get all the documentation in order the bank account um and and have the affair set up as a legal entity and i don't remember exactly what i wrote in that post but i do remember saying the the plan words i said yes to the date, and i i made a little picture and put like a dry date on a little plastic bicycle <laughs> and like Ride for life, something silly like that. Yeah, like,
1: for a long ride.
0: <laughs> I, I love my dad jokes. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, that's great. So yeah, I uh, I'm really impressed with everything that you do. And uh, so yeah, what my question is still around: How did you come up with this idea, and uh, who was there with you when you actually decided to go ahead with it?
0: So. The idea came up because I had five kilos of dates that I had brought with me from a trip to Iran. And at that time I was supposed to go on a two month diet with no processed foods, no gluten, dairy, everything. Um, Because I had been traveling so much that I had massive stomach pain. So the gastroenterologist Mm -hmm. said eliminate all of this. And I have a massive sweet tooth. And I love coffee and coffee was also off the table. So basically I could not eat or drink anything that I loved. And I just, after some time of powering through, I I fell off and I just started eating it again. And I fainted from the stomach pain. So that's when I was like, okay, I need to take this thing seriously. I need to listen to the doctor. No more... Uh, playing around. And and that's when I started looking up recipes. I said, well, dates are sweet. I really like them, but I'm tired of eating them just raw like that. For sure there are ways to use them. And so I made this date brownie for myself that was gluten-free, no butter, nothing. It just had the the date spread that is basically now fair date spread, Um, cocoa powder, and protein pea powder, which is something I use a lot. And my friends and colleagues finished it. And I was like, you guys, that was, <laughs> I'm the one who <laughs> can eat normal food. <laughs> um, and they're like, oh, we loved it, but like you put a lot of sugar and there, it's quite buttery. And I said, actually, no, it has none of those ingredients. It's just made this date spread. And so then I, but I don't, I don't really like cooking in the first place. And I'm definitely not patient to do things properly. And this, this was a 12 hour process to get this type of date spread so mm-hmm. i did some market research and i was like i just want to buy it and and get it over with and every option that i found online it was either really expensive or they added preservatives and sugar which are things that i was not allowed to eat in the first place right and then one night a roommate jokingly said you know Lina, you're all about refugee employment what if you got refugee women to make date spread And I was was like, Austin, that's a great idea.
1: Oh my God. So he just came up for you with an idea.
0: Yeah. And I had been thinking about uh, different businesses, different scalable businesses uh, for, for refugees, but I never Mm -hmm. thought of like a consumer product because the food industry is not my background whatsoever. And it's never an industry that I thought I would actually go into. But, and so that's how it started. It's just, A couple days later, made the website, spent, uh, actually it was a day after, made the website. I had no name. I couldn't find a domain. I wanted to call it food for good, but the domain was already taken. So a couple weeks passed by and I have like, I bought some primitive equipment and uh, some dates, 25 pounds of dates. And and I had a woman who really uh, was excited to work with me. How
1: did you find her?
0: So how, I have to, how, you, yeah. how are
1: you even pitching that, and what were you putting on the on the website? I'm I'm just I'm just am- amazed right now. I don't even know how you start.
0: On on the website, honestly, I just put exactly what we. That's the nice thing about it being a tangible product. It's really easy to explain. Three ingredients: dates, water, citric acid, which is basically like just saying there's just dates in it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, made by refugee women, as a so showing that it's it's all about sustainable employment mm-hmm. healthy product. And that's, that's literally, it was the most simple website, the most, like, clear. I, I posted, like, oh, we'll be posting a couple recipes coming up. And um, so that's that's how, basically, I launched the website. And I came into contact with a woman because I have a friend here who's a journalist from Syria. And he knows very well the community. So he asked around if anyone uh, was was interested in working and needed some extra work and um, and that's how I met the, the first employee. She actually lived very far lives in Baltimore, um, but a very dear friend of mine, Jojo, who's wonderfully supportive, drove her back and forth for an hour almost each wow. way. Yeah. Um, amazing people. Who's helped me? Who hasn't helped me along the way? Like, my poor roommates that we had to do like, basically R we me R and D testing in the kitchen to find out like thirty different types of spreads and then using their friends during house parties as taste testers. <laughs> um, being patient with the kitchen being a mess. There's date spread on our ceiling somehow. <laughs> I have I'm quite
1: sure got did. <laughs> so I'm sure they don't mind all of the dates because they get to participate and eat all of that.
0: And see the yeah, so they're they're really they they're kept well fed and they <laughs> bri- arrived with with dates. Um, my my mom and my brother were here this summer and they really helped. so now we started to do festivals, so actually participating in festivals, farmers' markets. Uh, to do direct sales um, which basically helps uh, people engage with the product because it's something new the US market is not used to date spread most people have no clue what it is they mm-hmm. ask me how do I use it what's what to do with it but the important thing is that they taste it that first time
1: yeah
0: and honestly eight out of ten people who taste it really love it mm-hmm and for me that was really interesting insight because I thought it would be more of a niche product, only people who are maybe familiar to international products or have been to the Middle East and actually seeing that it appeals to that to basically the general public. Right. That for me was that some of like the greatest insight and really showed that there's a way that we can push forward this healthy eating movement while integrating new flavors.
1: That's so cool, I, I and I'm really admiring especially the the fact that you're actually not just doing it by yourself, or like it, it's easy just to say, you know, you can employ the, these women and then just sell it maybe, but this was actually the very fact, like this this is a part of your company, it's, it's who is making it, and, um, and you're doing it as a promoting um, this like social good, you know, I, I absolutely admire that that's so cool
0: that's why it started honestly like that's I wrote my thesis on uh, here at Georgetown University on company interventions for refugee employment that's very lined with the work I was doing at the World Bank like all of my prior experience and work was using business as a tool for social good but more on a theoretical mm-hmm. level or like a large project base never specific company mm-hmm. and so the whole idea of Dafero and everything started like okay, it's like it started initially as like a small project. Okay, let's just give a couple extra um, hours and some extra income to Safa, right. our first employee, so she can make it and keep it small and and just see. And that's literally why the company started. And then actually seeing the the customer side where they started to really love the product, mm-hmm. really, really show that there's a much bigger market that's when that was kind of the switch from small nice initiative to okay this has a potential to be our a real company with much larger impact than four people now that we have alternating between shifts but that this could diversify into big product line and and just really make that transition and so definitely like the employment of uh, refugees in this case but as we're um, basically considering expanding at some point, uh, refugees and vulnerable populations, yeah, um, former trafficking victims which are usually women and girls, um, those who come from abusive families, so really integrating and, and taking in workforce that has so much untapped potential but is just left at the sidelines, That's that's the core of the business, that's why it started. Mm-hmm. so Yeah,
1: and I I remember from beginning when we met, and actually funny story of how we met is uh, we were both going to um electro dash that was a five k sort of marathon um, and, and with neon lights and music, and um, we were both on the bus and I saw her wearing really colored uh, pants and so I immediately knew that she's going to the same place, uh, so. We started talking and then we didn't really know where we're going. So we just got off one of the bus stations and um, walked from there. We realized that we're actually not in the right spot and we just decided, decided to walk to, uh, towards that place together. And so um, as we're walking, we just connected on a, a number of things. And uh, I remember just from that moment, you were telling me about some other um, initiative that you had uh, as part of the UBC uh, program is you created um, a company and that um, was actually bridging the gap between the different cultures. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, the Breaking Barrier was uh, a nonprofit initiative aimed at eliminating religious and um, racial racism against Islam in the Middle East. And it came out of a trip, a research trip that I had during my last year of undergrad at UBC. Uh, where I went to the UAE, Oman, and Pakistan, and I was researching the influence of Islam on, on women, institutions, culture, science. And when I was preparing for that trip, I received so much resistance towards going there a lot of misconceptions, a lot of racism. And I thought, how is this possible in such an international setting as UBC, where something like 60% of the student body uh, isn't even, is foreign born? Mm -hmm. How is it possible? And imagine what's happening outside. And so I started to correlate that similar messaging that they were um, telling me with media influence bias. And so that's what Breaking Barriers, when I came back, from the Middle East was was doing, we would put in touch every two weeks. Uh, I ran a webinar on different topics such as the influence of Islam on women and science, and then we had art and banking. And each session had three very diverse people. For example, the the banking session had one. Um, Timur Kuran, he's one of the most influential scholars in the US on Islamic banking based out of Duke University. And his thesis is that it's just a normal form of banking, they're just renaming. And then there was the vice president of Mizan Bank, which is the biggest Islamic bank in Pakistan. And the third one was a consultant, uh, a banking consultant in the UK, which was starting to notice that more and more clients wanted this type of service. And so what I was trying to do is basically bring in three very diverse people on the same topic so they can give their opinion and then the public can form their own opinion instead of having, okay, Islamic banking means that uh, we're financing terrorists, which right. if you look at Fox News, that's basically mm-hmm. the hype when, when they, they say that a new bank opens some sort of branch. And this, the idea was that the public can be informed if they're offered diverse opinions and so that's what we we ran and it was such a great experience and i got to basically teach this model uh, to other universities pass it on to ubc um it's why i'm part of an international youth organization called ACWA, a common word among the youth which is a wonderful organization where youth focus on inter-religious and intercultural projects and they run Two projects every six months to run an impact in their communities and um, so that's basically I passed on that model to these groups and the universities and so they can run their own breaking barrier sessions and basically break through the barriers that the media makes money off of building
1: yeah so not only you started something as a student and then You graduated, and then you still maybe were running it, but after that, you just left this legacy. And now, not only in the UBC, which is your own university, uh, stands for University of British Columbia, uh, but now all of the other universities adopted the model. And now, this is it might be actually a normal part of everybody's life as a student. Imagine what kind of impact that you've made just by coming up with this idea. I do. You ever think about it <laughs> you know do, do people tell you about how much influence you actually make? um
0: not not usually to my face i i sometimes hear like other impacts and other stories of how um people met or opened their minds on on, on new topics and then i hear it through um through others one thing that i thought was very interesting when i was running breaking barriers which it started in 2014 so an even lighter political climate than now um i had many friends many many friends from the middle east tell me you're so brave and i had never thought of that before in my life and that was never something like never a concern that came up to me um when i was at ubc you know vancouver's such a safe environment and and can walk at 4 a.m. and you're usually fine. You still have to be careful from the raccoons, but it, <laughs> it, 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 the it's, such, <laughs> it's It's such a safe. So I was in this like mental space of this is such a safe environment. And then having friends mention repeatedly this, you're so brave. I never thought of it as bravery because I never thought there was a threat. Mm-hmm. But that really opened my eyes that there are other parts of the world and other aspects and maybe even now that things I think are much more heightened that it's it's just so unfortunate that this should be considered some sort of bravery instead of um, a normal project like any anything else Um, that was something that really opened my eyes personally on on that journey
1: yeah um. I mean the just just that story itself is so inspiring, and now you're continuing on that social good by with uh, the with so um I think that you're really up to something great in life and i I'm, I'm I just keep track of you because we don't really talk as often, but I keep track of what you do on linkedin on on Facebook, and every time there's something that amazes me in like well, all of your initiatives. <laughs>
0: Thank
1: you. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, it's really, it's, it's prominent. And I think when people tell you that it's brave, um, they, you actually stand for something that's bigger than yourself, um, bigger than maybe even like your little community. It's actually expanding um, without you even maybe knowing sometimes. But so for me, just realizing that is a huge deal. And so that's why I was asking, if you even think about it, wow, you know, I, I started this just starting with one small idea, as I thought, and now it has this sort of ripple effect. Um,
0: I I think when you're in it, there's no real time to sit back and reflect on that. It's like, oh, my gosh, I forgot this time zone of this person. <laughs> so much in the operations and sometimes focusing so much on, like, what's not working to fix it. Yeah that the only moments when I realized that I was onto something was when I started to win awards. Um, for the first time. I had never won any awards almost in like three years at UBC. Um, it was one like community involvement, but you remember I I was in like 50 clubs and <laughs> it's, it's, it's just who I've been since a kid that I really like to do projects and everything, but no, nothing for something that I had started, right? And, and and so I was so focused on. Oh my gosh! I forgot the speaker's time zone. Oh no! We only have to participate All of the things that needed to be fixed. That uh, that last year when I did start to receive some awards, I thought, oh, like this is actually worth something, and then this is a nice thing. And that's that realization that it's sad to say, but that type of like, it took that external validation to show that this is actually something worthwhile and that was what gave me the push to then basically pass it on and teach it to others and have others run it and continue it because um it's it's very likely that if i hadn't had that i would not have thought oh who would want to learn this thing it's just like my crazy passion project and idea and like once i graduate it's done but having that Uh, And and now, um, I think of things differently. Um, I think it's always worthwhile to celebrate what you've done, even if it's a failure, because you've learned so much from it and that becomes part of you. And like now I'm older, I understand that much better. And we're also lucky to live in like North America, where they have fail fest, and if you fail, but then you succeeded, that's like the most amazing thing, mm-hmm. I recognize that in other cultures, you fail once, and they'll remember you forever, and, and you're stigmatized, and, and oh, you suck at business, because you went bankrupt that one time, Whereas here, oh, you went bankrupt, but then you started a company, excellent, the, so the combination of many things, um, that now has changed my mindset on, on basically that aspect that it's always worthwhile I mean I I knew I don't even like cooking and I knew nothing about the food industry and now I have a consumer packaged goods company like I would have never thought that but it's kind of that thing of being a little bit crazy and not understanding the risks and I think that really represents like how we met I had no friends who wanted to go to that run they thought it was dumb to run under the Vancouver rain with lights. And I don't even run. I've never run in my life. But I thought, no, well, that's a great idea. And I wore a pink wig. I went like all out at something I had no idea about. Pink wig, bright orange pants. That's how you recognize I think so. <laughs> this is this, this crazy person that's the only place she can be going. And so I think that really represents how kind of maybe i jump into things too fast maybe not all of them last and they fizzle out but uh not not being so afraid or scared that it's not gonna work out because the ride is fun and i think if the ride is fun and you enjoy it like it doesn't matter the outcome in the yeah end.
1: wow this this is exactly i think why i'm doing these podcasts is for these kind of conversations a lot of people um They're afraid of failure, and it might have been because they've actually uh, gone burned once um, by doing something that they really wanted, and then somebody shut them down. And by shutting them down, it could be just like their parents saying, no, don't do it, it's a stupid idea. Or maybe they even tried something, and then it didn't work out the way they they wanted it. And uh, now you have to figure something out. And that's the biggest, I think, uh, showstopper is when people get in the loop of, like this analyzing, oh my God, I need to plan it. I need to know how this works. Like in your case, it would be, I need to understand how the cooking is done and like what what kind of equipment is needed and how to create these labels and all of those things. But you just jumped right into it and then you figured things out as you went. And I think this this is the fun part that we don't think about when we're looking Outside of that, you know, we're kind of looking at this big thing And that's just so overwhelming. There's so many things to figure out and what you just said is Is like the opposite of that is why you want to do this is because it's all fun You don't know how you're gonna do or what's gonna turn out, but you just jump right in uh, and This this mentality. I don't know how to get there. You know a lot of people struggle. I certainly struggle with that I sometimes stop myself uh, moving because it's uh, it just looks overwhelming and scary. And I, I'm kind of paralyzed. And where do I even start? How do you get yourself moving? Like, what's your... Do you figure out the first step? Or is it more like, all right, I'm just going to share with a bunch of people, see how um, they react and what comes out of it? What is your kind of action or maybe mental state that you put yourself in whether consciously or not uh, any kind of practical advice would be really nice
0: so one thing is i think if you start to analyze everything you get into analysis paralysis totally if if i had known how hard this is and if i had known that it would take me two weeks and i mean like 40 hours each something like 80 hours to create a label, which to me looked like the silliest, easiest thing in the world. If I had known all of those things, I would have never started it. Mm-hmm. But what, what pushes me to start things and, and just, is one, being a little bit crazy, because you have to be a little bit crazy to, to do anything in any, any form mm-hmm. of entrepreneurship, honestly. And, and two, and really, so I love the product. I, 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 my idea was, okay, even if I end up with 50 unsold jars of this date spread, I can eat it. So no big deal. I love it anyways. If people don't like it, it's fine. Um, And I also really, really believe in organic growth though at the same time. So for me, I invested a certain amount in, in just like the basic equipment the cheapest things I could find to, to have this like minimum viable product, the MVP. Mm-hmm. And then I everything is bootstrapped to the max. So the focus group was not some outsourced company's focus group. It was my roommate's entire master's class who came over for an event for their part and I said, okay you guys sit down now and taste these ten different jars and tell me which one you like the most. so so really being very creative about that bootstrapping and being willing and I think three being really humble because I thought I was this like master of refugee employment and private sector master because it's my master's thesis and and it's my work and all of this and then in real life you you learn that you don't know one you know like one percent of one percent of what you had to know and being really humble and honestly like staying at the farmers market with like a tiny table because you don't have a stand because you didn't want to invest in pretty things before knowing it worked under the rain dragging 50 kilos of jars across dc for festivals so really really being at least in this industry i know tech is different you don't have to drag around anything (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah except maybe tech debt <laughs>
0: <laughs> which maybe is easier as opposed to like a physical product but but this idea of being really humble and being willing to start from scratch and, and the organic growth part because I said okay I'm going to invest this amount if I can get 50 people to buy those 50 jars then that means we're onto something it means I will have remade the money I invested in and I can invest some more. And that's how I've done it. That's how, so that's why it's not, if there was, there are other ways to do it, secretly gather money, do pitches, get investors and everything, and then have the perfect perfect equipment, the perfect label, the perfect anything. To me, that's too much of a risk. And also too, I work with vulnerable populations. If I give them the hype, that they're going to have this amazing job at a real company and then fast forward a couple months, not a single supermarket buys my product, then they're burnt because they gave their hope in me. They gave up their like issues around food stamps and, and unemployment benefits if you move into employment and many different risk factors. That means that I burn their trust. I also burn part of their livelihoods and at the same time, It's so risky for me because I will have invested all this money or I will have debts or or have lost investors money who won't be able, who won't trust me the second time. So my kind of actionable advice is choose an amount that if you lose it, you're going to be okay. Whatever that, everybody's so different. For some it's 50, for some it's 50,000. But choose that amount and think creatively in a really small. If you saw our first label, it sucked. I printed it at home with my own printer. The the jars <laughs> by hand. Everything was by hand. But people love the product. So if if what you're building is something that people love, at some point you will have the brand and you will have the, all the pretty stuff that make it real and sell so much. But I. I personally always believe in, like, the organic growth part to overcome this, like, fear of failure or, fear of, or like, overcome analysis paralysis because in the beginning, it's relatively easy and it's just super fun.
1: Very cool. I absolutely love what you just said. Um, yeah, I think it's going to help a lot of people just to focus on small thing that you can do right now. Maybe in your free time. It doesn't have to be quit your job to start a new enterprise, you know, start something on weekends and evenings, uh, maybe share with a friend or two, what is the smallest amount that you could possibly start with and then, yeah, and then see how it goes. If it gains traction, then maybe you're onto something and if it, if it doesn't, maybe you're not. Um, but I think that a lot of people, we have this uh, vision of, if you want to start your own thing, have to dedicate a hundred percent of all of your time on it and then they get disappointed because if it doesn't work out then it means they not only quit their job and and, um, got out of their stability and now they're maybe even incurring some debt um, or just burning through their savings account and now not only that but their idea and all, all of the hopes and dreams got sort of crushed um Yeah, so I think what you just said is uh, figure out your MVP, don't make the hype out of it, see how it grows organically. And if it gets there, if there is the right demand, if it's the right product and people like it, then it will just get into this big thing that you always wanted, but it will get there organically. And if it doesn't, then maybe it's just not something you should pursue at this time. Um, But yeah. Yeah
0: because sometimes you have a great like core idea or product but people don't want it how you've given it to them but they still want some version of that and so being lean and flexible means that you can pivot and you haven't invested everything that you you want uh, you have into it but you're able to switch around and also do not put your job before you're profitable that's just my personal opinion coming from like very risk-averse <laughs> region and a family of scientists and everything who are not into entrepreneurship and private sector and all these risk stuff. But in general, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you are not mentally calm and know that your rent, your food, uh, your maybe family's necessities are covered, you're not going to be the best business person and entrepreneur you can be. And I think to, the ones who really shine and really succeed are the ones who are in that mental space to do that. And so I really think that like, you should not quit your job or, or burn more savings than you can afford to lose. Really that like, long-term loss because mentally it's exhausting to um, have a company that's maybe not profitable and then a life that you're, you also are, are bootstrapping. It's really hard. And and the ones who succeed, I mean, I know they are really wonderful stories. I know Elon Musk stepped on the floor in his office space and everything. But honestly, how many Elon Musks exist? Right. Uh, very, very few. And, and those are the people who are willing to give up everything. And I think you have to – everyone's different. But, like, also do an analysis. Like, are you willing to give up everything, your health, a, a family a life um for it
1: right. and burn yourself out so that yeah that you're not even you're not even enjoying it anymore it's just yeah. all about the results yeah yeah i think i think that's uh that's a really good point because a lot of people say that well if you're not invested 100 percent, how can someone else you know really believe in your idea and what you just said is uh, like being risk averse is uh, it doesn't equal you cannot be entrepreneur. And for a long time, I kind of used that as an excuse that you know I like I'm always on a visa of some sorts in different countries that I'm I'm not from here. I don't have the family support. In fact, I need to support my family, and uh, I cannot really rely on someone else because if I fail or if I fall, I'm not sure if I can really. Um, rely on someone else to really pick me up so that being risk averse kind of stops me uh, uh, from like doing a lot of things because i say wow if i if i fail here then um, it's not just me going down it's maybe other people going down with me and um, that kind of just thought automatically puts a stop really on any initiative and what you just said um, that you could be risk averse you could think about what is the minimum thing you're okay with losing, but do not go beyond that um, because you're going to burn yourself out because you're going to be stressed and uh, you're not even going to enjoy it. So I think that thought is kind of counterintuitive um, maybe to what media is portraying as entrepreneurship right now. Um, And I really like that. We maybe just hear about those crazy stories, but majority of people are actually not doing crazy things like Elon Musk. And they've started organically without compromising all of the other aspects of their lives.
0: Most successful entrepreneurs are actually 30 to 40 years old. They've been in an industry for some time. They've become an expert in that industry. They have set their savings aside, so they're financially Semi secure at least, um, and they have innovated within their industry or seen something interesting into another one. So most entrepreneurs are not like seventeen years old and in a garage. Uh, that's that's in terms of like statistics and numbers of of the entrepreneurs who do succeed. And of course, it's not the sexy story in the world, um, but. That, that's the truth. And I really believe in calculated risks. Uh, I mean, entrepreneurship, there's no way to be risk averse. You have to, as I said, the first thing I said was like, you have to be a little bit crazy to go into this, to give up. I posted once like an entrepreneur will give up an 80, uh, will give up a 40 hour work week for an 80 hour work week with half the pay. Um, so you have to be a little bit crazy and wild to do that, but at the same time, there's a way to do that without running yourself to the ground and, and burning out and necessarily being a little bit airy-fairy. Wow. Um, I, in the end, I'm Albanian, and, and that culture does stay strong and about being concrete, being on the floor. Like So yes, follow your dreams, but take your head with you. That's one of, that's advice that one of my dearest friends gave me at ubc when i was doing breaking barriers
1: wow that's that's a really great way to actually conclude that as well um i think i think you're a perfect combination of uh of like risky and at the same time uh wanting to be actually safe and like keep keep your sort of uh vital needs (laughs) above any other risks and projects so i think the combination of yes you can you can definitely pursue your dreams and do something great and, and and believe in yourself but don't don't push yourself so hard that you're not even sure why you're doing this anymore or 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 yeah you can't even take care of yourself so um, i love i love all of this thank you so much for saying that and for sharing all of your stories um, i hope to catch up with you soon and i can't wait to hear all about your successes and all of your ups, because uh, if that's, that's all I see. I never see downs. I'm sure you have them, but you are an incredible person that is so resilient that even when you are down, it doesn't even maybe seem to you as that. It's just another result. It's just whatever. So I, I really acknowledge you and I appreciate all of your time and all of your sharing and being vulnerable. So um, thank you.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for, for letting me share hopefully it's useful to anyone and if not, it was so nice to catch up with you after so long
1: <laughs> <laughs> It definitely was